G'day and welcome to episode 12 of the Bushwalking, Canyoning and Outdoor Community. Today's episode is brought to you by Bogan Canyoning. Why don't you have a go? How you going? And how did you spend your weekend? I hope it was good and also I hope it was outdoors somewhere. Maybe canyoning, maybe bushwalking, maybe doing some gardening, whatever you enjoy. In the Blue Mountains, the weather was all over the place. So I had nothing planned after cancelling my initial ideas. Then out of left field, a mate of mine said, let's go canyoning. I was okay with this. So we targeted Coombanda Canyon and Dowpira Canyon because the objective danger around flooding is quite low. I also like to move fast, so we smashed both in six hours, still enjoying the, the views that was around there and the abseils and a little tricky down climbs. We also had the pleasure of meeting some of our inexperienced brothers and sisters uh, visiting the secret waterhole at Dowpira, which is now starting to become quite popular. Some of the people there have some pretty tough feet as they were doing it with no shoes. Credit to them. My normal office environment doesn't allow this toughness, so, you know, I suppose it's horses for courses. Anyway, let's stop dribbling, get into today's episode. Today is inspired by a Facebook post I saw in Oz Kenyon's Australia midwinter. And the focus of the episode is a pretty simple one. Are you better to be prepared at the start of an outdoor adventure or to have the skills to get yourself out of it? Now you may think that both is the answer, but in my view, focusing on one more strongly than the other will mean that if you screw up, you will ensure you will get out of it much better than you would otherwise. Now, this can be a contentious topic, and my view is my view. So it is important that you consider what is best for you. In previous episodes, I've discussed how to prepare for an outdoor adventure and what to do if you have the oh shit moment. But for this, I'm going to step through the issues that I can see and what I think the gold standards are for when you enter the wilderness. And after putting my thoughts into this one, I can see that even I have a bit of work to do. So, let's get into it. What is your outdoor adventure? Are you completing a trail walk from Wentworth Falls to check out the overcliff and undercliff tracks? Are you heading off track through the Wild Dog Mountains? Or are you taking on a wilderness canyon in the Wollamai? Or maybe even a rock climb in the Warren Bungles? Each of these trips will demand a different approach. But each will require a similar checklist to go through in your mind to ensure that you are in the right position. <clears throat> and in a later podcast, we'll talk about what is required for extended trips. So stay tuned for that one. We can split our trip preparation into three main stages. The first being preparation, the second being the actual trip, and the last being the trip after it's been completed. So let's start with the preparation stage. There are a few statements that I love to use around this. There is the six P's. Prior planning prevents piss poor performance. Then there's the scout's motto, be prepared. Then there's Confucius, a man who does not plan long ahead will find trouble at his door. So what does this mean? It's likely that if you plan properly before the trip, you will either have an enjoyable activity or know what to do if something difficult occurs. You will normally hear the emergency services praise people that are prepared 
if they have to be rescued. Why? Because it makes their jobs easier. A poorly organized individual or group dramatically increases the risk to rescuers, as they may need to carry more gear, look in locations longer than expected, or use more difficult rescue processes. Okay, let's delve into ways that you can be prepared for your outdoor adventure. The first part is the funnest bit of all, deciding on where you're gonna go. We all dream about where we want to have our next adventure. At the time of this podcast, I'm still uh, still dreaming of completing the K to K in a day, the Free Peaks, and a week-long tramping adventure in Kiwi land. Maybe a mountaineering trip to finally get to the top of Mount Aspiring. The question is whether I have the fitness, the ability, the money, and the time to do it. For me, I need to balance work, family, housework, and all the other commitments in. So my goals need to work within those limitations. I'm sure you've got the same issue in some form. A key part of choosing your adventure will also depend on if it is with a group or by yourself. This will change your risk profile. With a group, the margin for error can be increased or decreased depending upon the trip. Your trip should consider the abilities of the people you are walking with and their experience. (coughs) Large groups can be slow if you're aware of the requirements of the trip or if they like to stop frequently frequently for pee breaks or photos. In turn, you may be looking for a walk that does stop, stop frequently for conversations, sightseeing, photos or similar. We all have our own reasons for heading into the bush. After you've desi- decided on your group size, it's time to look at the location of your adventure along with the distances and timing. Another key part of this discussion is the terrain you will be heading into, the elevations you may need to ascend or descend, the potential difficulty of the route, the time of year, and the gear you may need to carry. This all seems very obvious, but but there have been times when I've failed to consider these aspects. Undertaking a 30 kilometer day walk on a fire trail whilst a long distance can be comparatively easy compared to a 10 kilometer off track walk with bush bashing and scrambly climbs. I've been guilty of underpreparing for some trips and this has meant that we have come back in the dark or have scared people from ever walking with me again. When I was younger, my mates had a nickname for me. Def, um, actually they had a nickname for some of my walks I should say. They were considered deaf marches. They weren't that bad but I was a little fitter than them. The good thing to say is that they had strong willpower. Whether you can, try to understand what you are going to get yourself into. You'll appreciate it when you are prepared for the surprises and get back to the car before dark. Another thing that will help with this is the amount of water you might need to take. If the terrain goes past reliable water sources, you're sweet. But if not, you'll be carrying more. Now, let's talk weather. It may seem bleeding obvious, but the weather plays a key role in whether we should undertake an activity or not. You've been pretty keen on a rock climb. You have to be pretty keen to rock climb in rain and undertaking some canyons in heavy rain forecasts can be the equivalent of a suicide mission. In turn, I've undertaken 20k moderate difficulty bushwalks on 32 degree days. 
That was not my finest moment. But what I'm trying to say is, know your risk profile and consider how you will reduce the risks if you're going to undertake your activity. In some circumstances, the best thing to do is to not undertake the trip. Another option is to modify the activity you are doing, like changing canyoning to bushwalking. But if you are to head out, know what you are going to do if the shit hits a fan. A helicopter may not be able to get to you and you might be waiting a long time for help, up to three days. Ensure your, ensure your gear is appropriate for what you are doing and that you have sufficient reserves of food, water and clothing. The reason I suggest this, for a person relatively new to canyoning, undertaking claustral canyon in the middle of winter with a spring suit for warmth is not the greatest idea. I'm glad that bloke had enough spare clothes so when he got stuck overnight in that canyon, he did not get cold. But as we discussed earlier, it is better not to get yourself in that situation and to reduce your risk exposure based on your experience. <coughs> Next, with the area that you're um, now that you've got the area that you're adventuring in sorted, it is time for you to identify your route. You may have seen it in the guidebook, on a map, or one of the many social media pages out there these days. Having a rough idea of what your goals of the trip are and your points of interest will help. Whether this is a lookout, a waterfall, or Aboriginal art, it can make the trip more worthwhile. Once you have these places identified, note them on a paper map, your GPS app, or whatever you prefer. It will be important for later on. Now, let's have a think about getting to and from your adventure. This can be an adventure in its own right, depending on where you're going. Going to the Himalayas? You may be flying to Lukla Airport, one of the craziest airports I've seen. Or it may be much more boring, like a train trip to Katoomba. Either way, know how you and your buddies are going to get there and organise the time and place. Otherwise, people may get lost before you even start. This ain't good. In these days of Google map pins and smartphones, it shouldn't be too hard. Use the technology to your advantage. And while you're at it, check that the area you're heading to is open. For example, at the time of this podcast, the Narrow Neck Plateau is only open to people on foot or bike. That means a new meeting area and an extra 1.5 kilometres of walking if you're heading to something like the Golden Stairs. <coughs> if you're heading overseas, check your passport as current, the entry requirements for that country, if you need any vaccinations, and the safety of the place. For Australian residents, Smart Traveller will have most of this information. And don't forget to reach out to others that have made travel to that location before. They may have some tips. And there's plenty of ways to do this these days with the options on the internet. The next step may have started well before this stage, depending upon how much you love looking at maps. But make sure you have the appropriate maps for the right area. Whether paper-based, on a GPS or your mobile phone, make sure that they are detailed enough for what you are about to do and have relevant information. Even better, let your emergency contact know what map you are using. <coughs> if, you can get in, oh, if you get into trouble, you can always let emergency services know that map that you're focusing on. My view is, where you can, to have a digital version and a paper-based version of the map. 
Digital options can run out of battery and paper maps can get wet. Be prepared for the worst case scenario. Following on from the above, have you marked your major waypoints or points of interest? No matter what map you're using, this option will be available. Whether it's a pin on a digital device or a pencil mark on a paper map, this will help you focus on where you are trying to get to. And don't forget to include this information for your emergency contact. Note any potential escape routes, alternative exit options, or places that could cause challenges during the trip. Consider the time, tra uh, time frames it will take for you to reach each point of interest or estimate. This will help indicate how long the trip may take and if you are falling behind on your plan. Not sure how long times could be? Google time and distance planning for your hikes. There are some great resources from trailhiking.com.au and other places. Well, that's been a lot of information. But for me, I share it because I think preparation is key. If you prepare properly, you will come close to eliminating the chance of you and your party getting lost, or you'll be able to be properly prepared if bad things happen. Now, you're prepared and it's time to communicate. One thing I've learned in both the corporate and outdoor worlds is that poor communication can lead to some disastrous results. It is better to communicate more than communicate less. In some cases, assumptions shouldn't be made either. Ensure your party knows where you are going, who the emergency contacts are, what clothing and equipment to bring, and what to expect on the walk in regards to timing, distances, weather, and special requirements. And if things change, let them know. Lead from the front, and you should expect the same back. And now, it's time to talk about the most exciting part of the adventure, the actual trip. You've prepared properly. Your team is on the same level as you are in information and emergency contacts know what you're up to. At the meeting location, it's always good to repeat what you um, have said with regards to what's up for the trip. This doesn't have to be formal. Banter is a great way to chat and also check that people are good to go. Hey Steve-o, how's your knee? Still walking like a pirate? Bob, how's the hangover? Did you bring your salt tablets? It's always good to know how your mates or team members are feeling and what mood they are in. With that, you can modify any part of the trip before you get underway or ensure and ensure that they have sufficient water, food or equipment to get through safely. It's funny, as we all know, communication is key, but we don't always act on it. Sadly, or finally I should say, there's always paperwork that needs to be filled out if you're in a club or something similar. So get into that before you head off. Time to hit the trail. Ensure your group uh, remains together, and that you have an experienced person at the back to ensure no one leaves the route. If you do decide for a group to spread out or split into different groups, ensure there is a leader amongst them. This will sometimes happen later in the day of a trip. It is frowned upon, but it's a natural thing that occurs with people of different skills and abilities and experience. So make sure you know how to account for it. Keep an eye out for your mates or other walking colleagues. Check that they aren't getting tired or that the pace isn't too much. A point rest breaks or regroups as often as you need to. They don't always have to be specific or formal, but 
it's just a good way to make sure that people are up to speed and traveling along all right. Hey, and they're also a great um, place to consider around great lookouts or points of interest. What I'm trying to say is be flexible. Be mindful of completing your trip in a reasonable time in case shit happens, but also make sure the welfare of the group's good. Another smart option is to share the navigational skills amongst others instead of relying on your own. We all make mistakes, so by sharing it around, you are less likely to get lost. I mean, navigationally misplaced. Ensure you check your location via GPS or map and compass frequently, but not too frequently as it will distract you. Take in the sights, the smells, and enjoy the conversation with your mates or party members. Walking and other adventure activities are a great social outlet. Next on the list, have you looked up? And I'm not talking about the cliff you need to scramble. I'm talking about the weather. Are the storm clouds coming in? Is the heat getting too oppressive? Knowing how to read the weather is a great way to know what's going on. And it's really interesting for a nerd like me. Make sure you manage your trip if the weather is changing from what you expected. It could lead to some serious issues. Difficult conversations with a team about ending a trip early are better to deal with than other consequences. Do you know how to repair failed equipment or deal with slower individuals in your group? These can be common issues. It won't hurt to carry gear to repair equipment or allow for it to get to the trip finish. Some form of redundancy within the group is a good thing. But at the same time, identifying it early may prevent it from becoming an issue. Look to resolve it quickly. When it comes to slower individuals, check in on them. They may not have eaten enough or had enough water. Have they injured themselves? Are they feeling a bit fatigued? A bit of chocolate may be enough to get them through. Or you may need to refer to your alternative exits that you identified earlier in the preparatory stage. Either way, know what is going, what you're going to do. Unfortunately, in some circumstances, you may need to push through the obstacles and overcome them. Just do that within your appetite for risk. You don't want to make a decision that could lead to a worse outcome. Now it's time to discuss the after the trip period. This is where you finish your trip and onwards. Once you've reached the finish line, it will be time to reflect and recover. This may sound like buzzwords, but it's true. You need to reflect upon what you've achieved and the people you've done it with. Reflect on what you've overcome, the ways you have progressed as an outdoor adventurer, and all the fun that you had along the way. And don't forget the photos. You may even share them online. On the other side of the coin, you need to consider how you recover from that walk. Most walks will impact your body in some form, so don't be scared to stretch, have a good feed and rehydrate. And finally, don't forget to let your emergency contact know that you're back safely. Well, that's going to conclude today's episode. Um, what did you think of it? I hope you got something out of it. And if you did, I'd love to hear from you. And if you have any suggestions or feedback, that would be great to hear. Don't hesitate to contact me via the communications in the show notes. Until next time, enjoy the outdoors.